Nick, I'm almost done with Gynonk, which is really fortunate because I'm going to be going on to OB. However, I am a little bit nervous about having to teach my junior residents how to ultrasound. Well, did you know that you can head on over to the obgproject.com and with your chief resident skills, get free access to their second trimester ultrasound atlas? If you're a chief resident like Nick and I, you can go on to the OBG project and sign up for OBG First completely free. OBG First is a subscription that allows you to build your very own reading library on the OBG project website, and they also send you up-to-date emails with the latest guidelines and research. All of their content is summarized into easily digestible bites, bulleted information, so that way you can take it on the go, whether you're on your phone, on the wards, or hanging out at home. If you want to find out how to sign up for OBG first, go ahead and go on our website at www.creogsrivercoffee.com. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. Coffee. Today, we're going to talk about toe lacking. So, Faye, what are our learning objectives for today? So, our learning objectives today, we are going to learn about how to counsel a patient regarding trial of labor after cesarean delivery. We are going to understand the risks and benefits of toe lacking and potentially what some people call too lacking or having a trial of labor after two cesarean deliveries. And also, we're going to um, learn about when toe lacking is absolutely contraindicated. So, Nick, let's just jump right in. What is TOLAC-ing and why is it important? Yeah, so again, TOLAC is an acronym, Trial of Labor After Cesarean Delivery. If we look at this in the context of the cesarean delivery rate in the United States, almost a third of women, 31.9%, will undergo a cesarean delivery. There's this old adage, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. And in some places in the country, that's still true. People just assume that because I've had a C-section before, I need a C-section again. Um, but with an increasing number of cesarean sections, that's going to lead to increasing complications. Again, every time that you operate through the same sites, you're going to end up with scar tissue. You're going to end up with adhesions. You're going to end up with bladders tacked up in wrong places or bowels tacked up in wrong places, and you could end up with an abnormal placentation, placenta accreta spectrum type of disease. So ultimately to this, perhaps to avoid the risks of multiple surgery, multiple cesareans, there's an option in toe lacking. Faye, you know, kind of talking, I guess, along those lines, what are the benefits of toe lacking? Yeah. So first of all, um, I just want to make it clear that there are are no randomized controlled trials looking at toe lacking versus elective repeat cesarean delivery in terms of looking at maternal and neonatal outcomes. So we just need to put that out there. That would be not an ethical study whatsoever. You can't possibly force women to choose to toe lag versus having elective repeat cesarean delivery. So of course, all of this data comes from observational studies of looking to see what have happened with women who have undergone tolacking versus have an elective repeat cesarean delivery. The benefits really are for mom and not necessarily for the neonate. And Nick has already talked about this, which is the biggest benefit here is that you're avoiding a major abdominal surgery. So you're avoiding, first of all, a longer recovery time, but there are lots of risks to C-sections. And those risks include things like 
a possibility of hysterectomy due to bleeding, um, possibility of bowel or bladder injury, infection, and of course, abnormal placentation in the future. And this is not to say that these things couldn't happen with a VBAC or a vaginal birth after cesarean delivery, but your patient is going to be at much higher risk for these things after having um, repeated surgeries. Someone who um, is able to have a VBAC versus an elective repeat C-section is going to have lower rates of hemorrhage, lower rates of venous thromboembolism, infection, and of course the shorter recovery. And we do know that the success rate of having a VBAC is about 60 to 80% of people who choose to undergo a trial of labor after cesarean. So I've talked about some of the benefits, Nick. What are some of the risks? Yeah, so certainly this is not a one-sided argument. There are definitely risks to toe-lacking. Um, there are also risks to cesarean delivery, as we've already described. The biggest risk for toe-lack probably is that of uterine rupture. Um, but in the literature, this is a little bit hard to tease out. Uterine rupture versus uterine dehiscence is not always dissociated in the literature, and so this can make it really hard to interpret. and really discussed counseling with the patient. You know, it's not always clear whether we're referring to catastrophic rupture and intra-abdominal hemorrhage versus an asymptomatic dehiscence or a uterine window, as some may refer to it. Um, one factor ultimately that does matter, though, in risk of catastrophic uterine rupture is the location of a previous cesarean scar. The risk with a pr one prior low transverse cesarean section is associated with a risk of uterine rupture of about half percent to 0.9%. And that risk of rupture does increase with more than one cesarean section, about to 1.8% overall. But the likelihood of achieving VBAC is similar between women with one C-section versus two prior C-sections. We'll have a table pulled from the practice bulletin, ACOG practice bulletin number 205, that distills down the risks of some of these things we've already talked about um, between elective repeat cesarean and toe lacking. Faye, what are some other risks for mom and neonate? Yeah, so I think, you know, we can kind of compare the risks for the neonate with regards to elective repeat and toe lacking. So the rates of stillbirth are similar for elective repeat cesareans. It's 0.2%. For toe lacking, it's 0.1%. And intrapartum stillbirth is a little bit less for repeat cesarean deliveries, 0.004% versus 0.04%. But even then, these are very, very small numbers that we're talking about. And there are really no huge differences in terms of things like intraventricular hemorrhage, perinatal mortality, or neonatal mortality, though we should say that this is slightly higher for toe lacking. Um, for example, perinatal mortality is 0.05% in elective repeat cesarean delivery versus 0.13% in toe lacking. So Nick, I think you know the next question that we're hoping to answer is, which one of my patients should toe lack? Yeah, so maybe the better question, Faye, is actually who shouldn't toe lack, right? Yeah. Like there are certainly some people that right off the bat we can say we would not recommend a trial of labor for. And again, the primary risk here to both mom and neonate is that of uterine rupture. So you want to immediately rule out people who are at high risk of uterine rupture. Those are patients who have a history of a classical uterine incision 
folks who have had a T incision on the uterus before, those who have had a prior uterine rupture or an extensive prior fundal uterine surgery, something like an abdominal or laparoscopic myomectomy. Women also who are not candidates otherwise to have vaginal birth shouldn't toe lack. So things like placenta previa, obviously we wouldn't recommend any sort of vaginal delivery for those patients. One other place where ACOG does not recommend TOLAC is in home birth. ACOG doesn't definitively say that you shouldn't TOLAC if you don't have access to an emergency cesarean delivery, but you should have a discussion with a patient if they are considering TOLAC. Again, the primary risk here is that of uterine rupture, and the way to ultimately save mom and baby in the event of uterine rupture is by emergent cesarean delivery. And in the home birth setting, that's not possible. So you definitely need to have a conversation with your patients, again, if they are desiring home birth in the TOLAC setting. That's pretty much it for folks who should never TOLAC. So again, high risk of rupture, women who are not candidates for vaginal delivery, and we'll say relatively contraindicated home birth. Faye, what are some other concerns that may not show up on like our true contraindications list? Some concerns that people may have, and we'll list them, are things like um, someone who has a low vertical incision on the uterus, someone who has twins, someone who's obese, um, someone who was undergoing an induction or augmentation of labor, and maybe people who have had uterine rupture in the past. So we'll start with the first one. So what about someone who's had a low vertical incision? And, you know, we had talked about patients, if they have a classical incision, they should definitely never TOLAC. There are very few studies looking at low vertical incisions, but those that have looked at them have actually shown similar rates of vaginal deliveries as a low transverse scar on the uterus. So this is something that you could potentially consider, but again, because of the few studies that have been there, this really should be a conversation with your patient. What about twins, Nick? Yeah, so twins are another interesting story. And again, I think twins also tend to just get sectioned for the sake of sectioning twins. Right. Um, but actually, VBAC rates in twins are very successful and similar to that of singleton gestations. So again, you shouldn't section twins for the sake of twins, and you also shouldn't section twins for the sake of forgoing a trial of labor after prior cesarean. Um, Faye, another one that I've seen is obesity. And this one kind of like strikes me as challenging because on one hand, like you don't want to go necessarily back into an abdomen with a large BMI, but on the other hand, like if you do need an emergent cesarean delivery, that's going to be a tricky one. Unfortunately, a higher BMI seems to have an inverse relationship with the success of a VBAC. So while 85% of normal weight women achieve VBAC, only 65% of morbidly obese women do. But as you mentioned, Nick, morbidly obese women can also have more complications with an elective repeat or a um, emergent repeat cesarean section. So really the counseling should be individualized to the patient. So the next thing we talked about was what about patients who need to go an induction and augmentation of labor? So let's say someone comes in and they're 41 weeks um, and they want to have an induction of labor for late term. How would you counsel these people? Yeah, so this is another interesting one where practice really varies across the country. Um, it's established that mechanical dilation of the cervix, something like a cervical Foley balloon, can be used. Um, so that's something that 
again, is pretty uniform. Mesoprostol or other prostaglandins have been shown to be associated with an increased risk of uterine rupture. So mesoprostol should not be used in term patients who have had prior cesarean sections or other major uterine surgeries uh, for their induction of labor. However, in women who are undergoing second trimester labor inductions for things such as uh, missed abortion or an induction of labor for a stillbirth, the use of prostaglandins have shown similar results in women who have had scars on their uterus and those without scars on their uterus. So these women can still have prostaglandins, especially because there are no fetal considerations in this instance. Our own institution does allow for a Foley balloon as well as Pitocin um, for induction, but in a non-stillbirth setting does not allow for prostaglandins. Faye, I guess the last one we mentioned earlier is a contraindication, but maybe we should like parse it down a little bit. What about prior uterine ruptures? This kind of gets divided into site of rupture. So really, if someone has had a uterine rupture, they should not be allowed to TOLAC again. If the site of the rupture or dehiscence is in the lower part of the uterus, the risk of another uterine rupture in labor is about 6%, which doesn't sound that high, but still compared to what we said before, risk of um, a uterine dehiscence or rupture in someone who's toe-lacking with one C-section, remember, is only half a percent to 0.9%. So this is much, much higher. And also, if that uterine rupture is in the upper segment of the uterus, the rate of dehiscence in labor is up to 32%. So a third of these patients will have dehiscence, and these women really should not be allowed to labor, and they really should be counseled to have a repeat cesarean section between 36 to 37 weeks. All right, Nick, so I think we've talked a lot about who should have a TOLAG, what are the risk factors. Let's actually kind of talk about how you would counsel a woman on tolacking because this is probably a pretty common question to answer especially because of how c-sections are so common now um, and you know even our interns are answering questions um, from women who may desire to have a trial of labor after cesarean section so how would you get started yeah, definitely. I mean, again, as you said, this is so, so common these days. And so it's really important that we have a good understanding about the counseling. This always is going to depend on the individual patient. And you really should try and do your best to make an individualized discussion regarding the patient's risks and benefits of a TOLAC versus a repeat cesarean delivery. Again, consider things like their individual risk of uterine rupture using those risk factors we've already talked about. Another thing to consider is family size or what their family planning considerations are. You know, does she want seven kids? Because that's a lot of C-sections ultimately. So there's a high risk of abnormal placentation ultimately. And maybe you should consider trying for a TOLAC. Whereas maybe she just wants two kids and she wants her tubes tied at the end of this pregnancy. That's a pretty good reason, I think, to maybe try for a second cesarean. But also think about things like family history, right? Like if they've had a prior history of ovarian cancers and they may need a hysterectomy in the future. Mm -hmm. um, those are also things that, you know, you got to play into the calculus here. Fortunately as well, in terms of making decisions about labor, there's a VBAC calculator that's been put out by the MFMU network, both for patients who are, one, not in labor that you can use during antenatal counseling, and then another calculator that can be used at the time of admission to recounsel patients um, about their likelihood of success during a TOLAC. Ultimately, though, in the end, the decision rests with your individual patient, and you should document your counseling and your conversation. Faye. Let's kind of, I don't know how you do it. I'm curious to hear how you do it, actually, um, in terms of talking about risks with your patient. 
Tell me about like how you go through these individual risks and what are the thing. What do you distill out? Yeah. So I, I first tell my patients, of course, that she has options. If she's had one C-section, it's a low transverse. I tell her right off the bat, one of your options is to have a trial of labor after cesarean because I think a lot of my patients don't actually know that and assume that they have to have a C-section. And then I tell my patients, you know, there are risks to both things of having a repeat cesarean section scheduled as well as uh, there are risks to having a trial of labor after cesarean section. And I tell her that, you know, the lowest risks to her in terms of morbidity, mortality, things like that, is to have a successful vaginal delivery after cesarean section. That would be the best outcome for her because she would have the lowest risk of bleeding, infection, complication from surgery, um, have a faster recovery, as well as scar tissue if she were to need an abdominal surgery in the future. However, the next lowest risk is actually having an elective repeat cesarean section. And I'm sure you know what I mean by this, Nick, because as you know, it's so much easier to do an elective repeat cesarean section when the baby's head's floating, the patient's not been in labor, that lower uterine segment hasn't been thinned out versus the most risky thing, which would be an emergency C-section because of a uterine rupture or because you know she is now in second stage of labor and has been pushing for two hours and the baby is not coming down past zero station. So when I kind of lay out like that, you know, then I talk to the patients about potentially what their chances are based on the VBAC calculator. We talk about their family planning um, in terms of their family size. And Going from there, I kind of try to listen to what the patient has to say in terms of what she wants, in terms of what she thinks would be the best options for her. Oh, that's a really nice way to do it. It's that shared decision-making model. Yes, definitely. So I, I think we've kind of exhausted a lot of our TOLAC counseling and kind of talking about the risks and benefits, Nick. So let's go ahead and go back and summarize. So yeah, again, we started out talking about what exactly was TOLAC, trial of labor after C-section or prior cesarean delivery. Um, again, this is important because almost a third of U.S. women are undergoing C-sections. And the old adage, once a cesarean, always a cesarean, can contribute to increasing number of complications, morbidity, and mortality associated with those surgeries. So TOLACing might be an answer to this epidemic. The benefits of TOLAC are exactly as Nick listed. So basically, you're avoiding the risks of having a major abdominal surgery. So this would be things like lower rates of bleeding, of having um, an infection, a shorter recovery time, as well as avoiding the other risks of C-section like possible hysterectomy, injury to other organs around the uterus, and abnormal placentation in the future. That doesn't mean tolacking is without risk, though. Again, the biggest risk for tolac is probably that of uterine rupture. The literature is a little hard to interpret. Again, uterine rupture versus a uterine dehiscence or uterine window is not the same thing, but is not always parsed out in studies. But again, the risk of rupture, catastrophic rupture, with one prior low transverse cesarean section is about 0.5 to 0.9%. This risk of rupture increases with two prior cesareans to about 1.8%. But the likelihood of achieving VBAC is similar between women who have had one prior versus two prior cesarean deliveries. In terms of risks for the neonate with regards to elective repeat cesarean delivery versus TOLAC, the numbers are very, very small. However, there does seem to be a slightly higher increased risk for things like um, intrapartum stillbirth as well as perinatal mortality for patients who choose to TOLAC versus having an elective repeat cesarean delivery. Some of that is in the counseling and patient selection. So 
there are patients who should not TOLAC, and we define those as those who are at very high risk of uterine rupture, such as patients with a classical prior uterine incision, a T incision, a prior uterine rupture in most cases, or extensive prior uterine surgery. Other patients who should be counseled against TOLAC would be patients who are not candidates to have vaginal delivery, such as placenta previa. And for patients who desire home birth, again, not an express contraindication, but one that should involve a careful counseling and planning session because, again, we won't be able to treat those patients quickly in that situation. We then talked about some other concerns like a low vertical incision, as well as a twin pregnancy, obesity, as well as patients who need an induction augmentation of labor. Again, counseling should be individualized for these patients about what is best for them, a TOLAC or an elective repeat cesarean delivery. Finally, we talked about patients who should never have a a trial of labor if they have a uterine rupture because this risk can range from 6% if the rupture was in the lower part of the uterus to 32% if the rupture was in the upper segment of the uterus. Finally, we talked about counseling women about TOLAC. We discussed the NFMU VBAC calculators that we'll have on our website, again, for patients who are not in labor as well as at the time of admission. And then we discussed what a good counseling session should entail for this, kind of stratifying the lowest risk thing for mom and baby is a successful VBAC with the caveat that the highest risk thing is an emergent section and a repeat section somewhere in the middle of that. All right. So once again, this is Faye. And this is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you liked what we had to say today on the podcast, give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, on Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, and on Patreon where you can give us some support and love at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. We have show notes, extra material, and other cool things on our website, www.CreogsOverCoffee.com. If you want to hear a specific topic, if you want to correct something from an old episode, or if you just want to come say hi to us, go ahead and send us an email, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. 